Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. We now come to the reading uh, of the Lord's uh, of God's word to us. We're in Revelation chapter two. We're carrying on our series uh, through the book of Revelation, and we're going to be reading Revelation chapter two, uh, verses one to seven. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him. Who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. If not I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. These are God's words to us. Well, here's a question for us as we begin to look at this passage. What, what is Jesus up to in his church? We, we live waiting for his return, don't we? we? We live facing challenges and joys, sorrows and successes. But to what end? You know, this Jesus, um, what's he doing with us? What's it all for? You know, Jesus who wins, who holds the keys to death and Hades, this Jesus who's amongst us that we've seen from Revelation 1, what's he doing? What's he up to? Have a think for yourself now. And this matters for many reasons, but for two reasons, it means we'll trust him when it's hard, if we know the answer to this question. And it means we'll, we'll also aim to, in a sense, join in with him. Join in with what he's doing, getting excited by it, praying for it. Now, there are many ways to answer the question about what he's up to. But have a listen to Ephesians 5, what Paul, uh, the answer Paul gives. Now, he's talking to husbands, but then shows us something amazing about Jesus says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's him dying for her. Here it is. That he might sanctify her 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Did you hear that? What's Jesus up to? He's sanctifying the church. He's making her more and more holy. He's getting rid of the bad and he's cultivating the good in us. You know, David last week showed how, how Jesus is a priest tending the lampstand that is his church, making sure the light keeps burning. Or to use a different analogy, he's like a gardener. Now, I think gardeners are pretty much magicians. You know, I look at a patch of soil and I haven't got a clue what to do with it. You know, I see an overgrown garden and all I can do is kind of hack it back. But a real gardener, you know, they do something magic with it. You know, just, just before lockdown happened, we visited Crathers Castle uh, in Deeside. And uh, at Crathers, you may have been there, there, there's a walled garden, okay? And it is extraordinary. The different layers, the different colors, the organized yet natural beauty. Well, I, I am, I am middle-aged now. It, it's happened. But, but gardeners, you know, they take these plants and they create something beautiful. But how do they do it? Well, with some plants, they nurture them. They make sure they've got the right amount of light, that they've got the right nutrients in the soil. With others, they can be vicious, can't they? They, they cut them back like never before. You know, roses, they, you know, they chop right back. They look like they're gonna die. Then the next year, boom, you know, what a bloom. And Christ is that perfect gardener. To make us bloom, to make us blossom, to become holy and blameless, he nurtures us and he prunes us. He, he takes our feeble frames, our dirty hearts, and starts by his spirit and his word to mold us, to change us, to cause us to bloom. That's what he's up to. I don't, I don't know about you, but in lockdown, it can feel like we're in a bit of a holding pattern. You know, we're like a plane circling and circling, waiting to land. We're, we're waiting for life to get back to normal. But, but Jesus doesn't have a holding pattern. Right now, he's at work in us. This is a time of cultivation, a time of nourishment and pruning. And actually, deep down, that's what we long for, isn't it? Deep down, change in our hearts and lives. But if so, are we ready for what it takes? Because here in Revelation, we, we get an extraordinary opportunity to listen in on Jesus' nurturing and pruning of seven different churches. That's what we're moving into. These churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. The churches in, in what's now modern-day Turkey. You know, th these were real churches with real people, real leaders, and they face particular challenges and circumstances. And we get to listen into Jesus. It's like he's doing a spiritual health check of these churches. You know, like a good gardener, he's checking that the, um, the plant has the right soil, the right amount of light, the right water levels. You know, and Jesus looked at these churches and, and given them some direct feedback. This is going well, tick, and this is not. And we get to listen in. 
So, so these letters, they're showing us what matters to Jesus. They show us what's on his health check list. And notice what Jesus says in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice that churches, plural. A letter may be for one church, but everyone is to listen in to what Jesus says to all of them. And that's why there's seven of them. That they represent to us the whole church. So over these next seven weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna listen in to these health checks. Sometimes their sins may not be our sins. And at that point, we mustn't be proud, but thankful. And sometimes their good bits really aren't our good bits. We mustn't despair, but we turn to Jesus in repentance. Remember, 1 verse 13 and 2 verse 1, Jesus is walking amongst the seven lampstands. That means Jesus is walking amongst his churches. He's in the midst of us. In his, in his love, he's with us. He's for us. He's nurturing and he's cultivating us. And notice how Jesus' health check begins. Verse 2, I know. That's a phrase that comes up in each of the letters. I know. I know you. I know what you're like as a church. I know your works. I know your hearts. And the same is true of us here at Trinity. He walks amongst us. He knows us. He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows our struggles and our hurts. He knows what we do and what we don't do, what we believe and what we preach. And he's here to sanctify us. Well, let's see how the church in Ephesus is doing. So verse 2 and 3. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Okay, these, these guys in Ephesus, they are facing some difficult situations. They're, they're being persecuted. They're facing trouble for Jesus' name. And that started right at the beginning of the church. If you get a chance, go back to Acts 19 and have a read of it. And there we see there was a major riot as people were turning to Christ. And in the face of, of persecution, this church is enduring patiently. And notice just how many times Jesus says it. Verse 2, your patient endurance. Verse 3, you're enduring patiently. And then he says, you're bearing up. And then he says, you haven't grown weary. In the face of these difficulties, they're hanging in there. They're strong. They're brave. They're courageous. And they're not just facing pressures from outside, but also false teaching from within the church. Verse 2, they've had pe- people claiming to be apostles, teachers of the church, and yet really aren't. Then there's been this growth of a group called the Nicolaitans, you know, some sect of some sort peddling false teaching. We'll see more of them another week. But the church has sniffed them out. They hate them. They dislike their teaching. These these guys know their doctrine. They know what's good teaching and false teaching. They guard their pulpit. They know their catechisms and their confessions. They are sound. You know, how's their health check going? Jesus is commending them. This is tick, tick, tick. They're great things. They're persevering under pressure. They're, they've got doc- doctrinal vigilance. These things matter and they're doing well at them. 
I wonder how we would score in those areas. But the letter doesn't end there. Verse 4 starts in a pretty terrifying way. Here comes the pruning. But I have this against you. I have this against you. And what is it, verse 4? You have abandoned the love you had at first. Wow. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Their, Their love for Christ has grown cold. They were, they were busy and yet loveless. They were sound in belief but stony in heart. You know, the one they had loved so much, the one they had loved at first, he was shrinking from their view. You know, Jesus was becoming a bit like an, an acquaintance rather than a spouse. You know, it's a bit like meeting an, an ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend from 20 years ago. You know, the old bright flame is just a, a faint glow. Now, on the outside, they may have looked like they were loving Jesus. The church had been working hard. They'd been doing good things. You know, verse 2, I know your works and your toil. But Jesus goes deeper than that. He goes into their hearts, doesn't he? He's saying, where are your affections? Where's your deep motivation behind all you've done? Was it powered by love? Was it powered by the desire to be with me, to know me, to serve me, the one who's, who's captured your heart? No, not anymore. They had abandoned their first love, the love they'd had at first, their love for Jesus. And what's striking about this is how serious it is. After verses 2 and 3, this church, you know, they're doing great, aren't they? Think of all that good. Surely surely abandoning love isn't such a big deal. It's only a minor point. You know, think of all their endurance and suffering. Think of their sound doctrine, their pure belief. Surely losing their love is, is just a small thing, more like a, a graze on the skin than a cancerous tumor. But no, verse 5, if not, I will come to you. And remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember, this lampstand is the symbol of the church. If Christ removes that, they're not a church anymore. They're a group of people, perhaps, but no presence of Christ. He's left them. No saving work, no mission to the world, no presence of the Spirit. They become lifeless. A loveless church will become a lifeless church, dead, like, like lungs without any breath, like a, a heart that stopped beating. Christ is not just amongst us as the bridegroom, but also amongst us as the judge. A loveless church will become a lifeless church. So does love of Jesus even matter to us? Does it even matter to us? You know, would it make it onto our health check list? You know, how long would it take for us to notice that we had abandoned our love of Jesus because actually it wasn't even on our radar? Because the temptation is to make it an add-on rather than an essential. It's like a rear spoiler on a car rather than the engine itself. 
Because I wonder if, if as a church constituency, we can be a bit like Ephesus in, in just the way the love of Jesus can drop down the list of essentials. In how pure doctrine and doctrinal vigilance is so high. When we, we meet a Christian from another church, you know, are we more concerned with their state of beliefs, however important they are? Are we more concerned with that than with their love for Christ? It was quite telling, I think, that while I was studying at college, we often commented on each other's understanding or knowledge or skill or intelligence, but we, we rarely commented on that each other's deep love for Jesus. You know, why is it? Perhaps we take it for granted. You know, if we're doing stuff for Christ, surely we must love him. Or, or, or perhaps we're scared of going a bit deeper into each other's lives. It's, it's easier to test someone's doctrine of the Trinity, isn't it, than, than actually talk about their love. Or perhaps we're distracted by the pressures like Ephesus were. The, the world wants us, you know, to conform, conform to its views of sexuality. Or, or, or we know that false teaching is rearing its heads in the pulpits of Scotland. And now that those things matter, don't they? They are serious. But, but we can lose sight of this. Is our love of Christ still central to who we are as a church? Do those things come out of our love for him or is our love for him just gone by the wayside? Does it matter to us? But we must go deeper than that, even if it matters to us. Is what was true of the Ephesian church true of us? Have we abandoned our first love? Does it matter to us? Yes, but more importantly, is it true of us? Is it true of us? Do, do we love Jesus? Is he, is he lovely to us? When, when Christ promises eternal life in the new creation as he does in verse seven, you know, are we excited because Jesus will be there? Or is he incidental? Is he more like that acquaintance? You know, when we hear of him, we we're just a bit bored by it. You know, give me some meaty doctrine. Give me a fight against the government. But but Jesus, well, yeah, yeah, I, I suppose. And perhaps when we're under pressure like now, it, it slips all the more. You know, some of us may be feeling we're just holding on by our fingertips. We're struggling with the lack of church, with the lack of personal contact. We're struggling with jobs and finances. And our love for Jesus, it just kind of fades into the background. Now, as we let this challenge strike, there'll be many of us, I'm sure, who do love Jesus, but know you could love him more. And that will always be true. He's worthy of everything. And you long to express it more and more to him. Well, that's not what this this is about. If that's you, keep going. But the challenge here is if our love for Christ has been abandoned, virtually been lost, So what's, what's Jesus' remedy? If as a church or as individuals we're actually wilting, dying flowers, what's the gardener's remedy? Well, verse 5. Firstly, remember from where you have fallen. Remember. Remember what it was like before. Remember your first love. 
You know, it's like a married person thinking, thinking back to when they first fell in love with their spouse. Now, part of that is remembering uh, what it was like, the experience of it all. We remember the feelings, the excitement, the, the racing heartbeat as we saw them, the flush when we held hands, the, the, the over-top laughing at their, their jokes. But the more important part is we remember what it was that captured our love. What it was about them that stirred us deep down, their character and passion, their compassion, their sense of humor, their steadfastness, their beauty, their, their wit. And Jesus, Jesus is wanting the church to remember that first love they had for him. Now, the Ephesian church wasn't long a church. And they would remember their conversions. Like some of you may do. You may remember what it was like when you first became a Christian. Others of us have had the great privilege of growing up in a Christian home, always knowing Christ. But even then, we will know times of greater love for Jesus. And he wants us to remember that love. Now, not just the experience, the excitement, the, um, but, but more than that. He wants us to remember what captured us about him. What was it about Jesus that drew your heart to him? What was lovely about him? Perhaps it was those aspects of Jesus that John has already brought to our attention in Revelation. You know, just cast your back to one, chapter one, verse five. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Was it, was it Jesus' extraordinary love for you? The way, the way he's willing to associate with you when you know, when you know your sins, your shame, your weaknesses, and yet he comes close. More than that, his, his blood was shed for you. You know, his love grew all the more as he came close to you. It, it didn't shrink back at your sin. It covered it. And bled for it. Why? So that you could know forgiveness. That you could know freedom from the bondage and slavery of sin. So that you could come to know God as your heavenly father. To be secure in his kingdom. To be priests to our heavenly father forever. Oh, he loves us. Was that, was that what captured you? You know, or as we see later... Uh, as we see in this letter to the Ephesian church, his love just pours out in generosity to the one who conquers. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He overflows with generosity like gold spilling out of a treasure chest. He gives us more and more blessings of eternal life that await. That's the love of Christ. The majestic Christ, the Christ who, who holds the keys, who's, who's risen from the dead, who's the first and the last. His love is truly wonderful. Was, was that what fanned your first love for him? Remember your first love. And then verse five, repent and do the works you did at first. Repent. Repent. Perhaps, perhaps you're someone listening to this and you've never loved Jesus. And he started to show himself as someone lovely, worthy of your love. 
May you come back to him. Or perhaps you, you know your love has drifted. It's waned actually. You've abandoned it. Putting other things first. Busy for the church. But not ready to actually open up your heart to Jesus himself. If that's you, repent. Come back to Jesus. Come back to him in prayer. Acknowledge your sin, your guilt. Acknowledge what's happened. Admit it. And turn back to him to receive his forgiveness. And then as we do that, let that love that love of Christ start to overflow in works of love. Let's do the works we did at first, Jesus says. Because there's a danger for all of us, for all of us to abandon the love, our love for Jesus. The Ephesian church didn't set out to leave love behind. It will have just slowly happened. And, and so all of us should let our love of Jesus overflow in works of love. Because expressions of love stoke our love further. You know, what change would this make to the Ephesian church? They were doing things. Jesus knew their works. But, but notice they were works of endurance, of, of self-preservation. They were, they were repointing the walls in a sense, crack, checking the foundations. They were fixing cracks and adding other coats of paint. But works fueled by love, Christ's love for us and our love for him, rather than just endurance, they move outwards. They seek to build new things rather than just protect the old, new ventures, new walls, new buildings. Because I wonder if in lockdown my temptation has been to maintain or try and maintain the status quo. Just to endure and leave it at that. Rather than letting the love of Christ drive me outwards, drive me to do the works I did at first. Now we need to endure, don't mishear me, this is a tough time. We, we need to look after what we have and one another, but we don't, we don't stop there. Where could Christ's love compel us as a church but where could it compel you this week is it to try something new in your family worship this week is it to ring someone you haven't spoken to for ages with the purpose of encouraging them with jesus is it to knock on your neighbor's door stand two meters away and just ask them how they're doing is it to do something kind to to help your parents or to help your spouse or your colleague. Oh, may our love of Christ overflow in the works we did at first. Not, not out of guilt, so we, not so we collapse with exhaustion, but fueled, fueled by the loveliness of Jesus. This is what Jesus is up to. As we face lockdown, as we feel like we're circling, he's nourishing, he's pruning us. And most of all, he's bringing us back to himself. The Lord who loves us. Repent, sorry, remember, 
Remember, repent, do. And for what end? Verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. For what ends? To bring us to him forever. Amen.